How many times do we let things cause us to turn our attention to the negative or the difficult things in our life? It seems, you know, whenever we turn recently to TV or to social media outlets that we hear of another news story about some violent, tragic event in our world. And it doesn't take much to think about this past week with over 80 people tragically losing their lives in Nice, France. And what do we make of that? I'm not sure we know what to how to respond to that kind of uh, tragedy. But we look and we see war and we see theft and we see murder. We see severe famine in some areas of the world. We see disease. Uh, we can look more closer and maybe we see job uncertainties or families that are falling apart, among other things. And there's so much going on around us that seems ugly. Uh, it can be hard to remember that, there are, that this life is beautiful and precious. And we can look around us and see beauty. I wake up each day and I have the opportunity to look at my wife and think about something beautiful that God has brought into my life. I don't say that casually or to earn brownie points. But if some come my way, it's okay. Uh, We see beauty in nature. I mean, if you've ever been to Yellowstone National Park and the Grand Tetons, it doesn't take much to to just stand in awe of God's incredible creation and, and his creativity in his creation. I see beauty in my son and daughter. I see beauty in your children or in your grandchildren. Children are beautiful and a gift from God. And yet there are times that the world can easily beat us down so that we fail to see the beauty of life. Life becomes a chore instead of a pleasure. And I know it can be hard to realize that at times, but we need to always remember that the life that God gives us is beautiful. Life is too short to let anything uh, ruin our lives. Life's too short to allow circumstances and people to make us see life in a bad light. And as Christians, it of, it's of the utmost importance that, that for others that they see that we enjoy the life that God gives to us. We'll never win people to a Jesus who makes our lives sad and miserable. And today I want us again to look at that fourth chapter of the book of Philippians in verses 4 through 9. If you've got your Bibles or your uh, uh, personal device, you can turn to that passage. We're going to be looking at that. And then as we look at that passage, see how life is beautiful in Christ. The first thing that we can see in life uh, being beautiful is that we, we, when we rejoice in the Lord always. Life is beautiful when we can rejoice in the Lord always. Let's look at verses 4 through 5 in that passage. Paul writes, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This can be difficult to do because Paul's saying, hey, you're to rejoice in the Lord always. And I can admit that I don't always feel like rejoicing in the Lord always in every circumstance. And yet, if we think about this, Paul's writing this passage from prison, right? He's even in prison under the threat of potential death. And that doesn't seem to be a very enjoyable place in life or a very beautiful place in life to be. And yet this is what he writes. Our outward circumstances do not have to have control in our inner joy. Paul was full of joy because he knew that no matter what happened to him, Jesus Christ was with him. Paul faced false teachers. He faced uh, severe people problems in the churches that he had started. He was beaten. He was persecuted. Uh, He was facing the threat of death. And yet several times in this letter, he urges the Philippians to be joyful probably because they needed to hear that as well. 
We know a little bit about this church in Philippi. Uh, we know that, that these Christians were considered to be the poorest among all the Christians in the early church. So they were really challenged economically, financially. We also know that these Christians were persecuted because of their faith in Christ. And so they faced severe persecution. And, G- and Paul is writing this letter to them to say, Rejoice! Rejoice always in the Lord. And so, when you find yourself about to have joy in your heart, even when the outward circumstances of the world would tell you not to, you are starting to see that life is still beautiful in Christ. You know, we serve a big God. I remember doing a a Bible study a few years ago on David. It was a character study, and we were using some material that an author had written uh, to help us with questions and some thoughts about the Bible study. And I remember when we got to the story of David and Goliath, and so many of us know that story, uh, the author wrote about how when Goliath, the giant of the Philistines, was calling out the nation of Israel to produce a mighty warrior so that they could have a one-on-one battle, a, a mano-a-mano, to see which nation was the best nation, that Israel shook with fear because they looked out and they saw Goliath and they saw how big he was and how strong he was. And then they looked with little faith at their God and they saw a small God. But then he talks about how David looked at the circumstances and he saw a big God. And then in comparison to God, he saw that Goliath was so small in comparison to what God can accomplish. You see, we serve a big God. Our problems are not so terrible because we know that God is bigger and he can help us. Paul did not call the believers of his day or to us to an empty, kind of put on the show of happiness life. It's not just this casual, oh, it doesn't matter how bad things are. Life is so good. It's so good to be living this life. That's not what he's talking about. He especially doesn't want us as Christians to be insensitive to people who really are experiencing sorrow or or challenges or even persecution. He's calling for a genuine joy, which is only possible in the Lord. It's only through a believer's relationship with God that he or she finds joy in the midst of suffering or persecution or sorrow or pain, whatever the difficulties may be. It's when we're in Christ that we can discover joy. You know, this uh, about 10 days ago, I had the opportunity to meet with Mike and Lori Fabrizius. Uh, I pray with them before Lori went into surgery for her brain tumor. And as I was meeting with them that morning, They told me a little bit of the story that had been going on the last three days. Uh, Three days prior to that surgery, they had been told that Lori had a brain tumor, and the doctors were really concerned about this tumor, and they wanted to get in and do surgery as quickly as possible, so they had her in surgery just three days later. She told me that they had met with their neurosurgeon just the day before, and he'd kind of gone over some of the different possibilities some of the circumstances, some of the possible consequences, depending on what they found, and, and even just from the surgery itself, and the pretty difficult stuff that they were telling her uh, that, that she needed to think about some of those possibilities. And when he got done kind of describing all that, he asked her, well, how are you doing, given the news that you got three days ago? How are you holding up, uh, given what I've just told you this morning? And Lori looked at the doctor, and she said to the doctor, she said, you know, doctor, she said, I look at the circumstance, and I see it as a win-win situation. And she didn't just say that flippantly. I mean, that's with some, you know, fullness of her soul, knowing all that, that she was facing. But yet there's this faith connected to that. And she described it because she said the doctor looked a little confused when she said that. And she said, well, look, I see it that if I'm able to beat this tumor, get better, well, that's a win. And she said, and if it goes the other direction, she said, really, she said, I'm a Christian and I believe 
uh, in Christ. And I believe in the promise of eternal life that Christ gives to us. And she said, so I'm looking at this as a win-win situation. And again, they didn't, Mike and Lori didn't have this casual faith. They're not just facing an inconvenience in life like many of us face and still struggle with the negatives or difficulties. No, they're facing a real struggle, like Paul, uh, like the Philippians. But they continue to rejoice in the Lord. It made me, when she said that, it made me immediately think of the verse in the first chapter that we heard Doug preach on in Philippians where Paul writes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the reality is, as Christians, is that God has created a scenario that whatever circumstances we face, as Christians, we are in a win-win situation. And Paul's saying, therefore, let us rejoice in the Lord always. I say, rejoice. And Lori, Lori's testimony will influence others with real faith in a really challenging circumstance. Joy is not always visible on the outside, but it's something that we can experience internally. But our gentle spirit will become evident as we deal with people. And Paul encourages us to always respond with gentleness, no matter what we're facing. And he's really encouraging the Philippians to do that in light of their persecution. People were persecuting them. They were getting thrown in jail. They were losing their jobs. They were being harmed physically. And instead of reacting negatively, Paul was encouraging them, respond with gentleness in that circumstance. And we look at the circumstances of our world, again, to see the, the violence that seems so prevalent. Uh, to look at our political scene this, in this election year, and I have to say I'm not always encouraged when I look at our political scene. But in light of Paul's encouragement, you know, again, we might think twice, how do we as believers respond to these kinds of things that we see going on in our world? It makes me think about when, I, when we go out on social media, maybe we're to give a second thought to what do we post? Are we going to flame somebody or something? Or are we going to respond with a gentle and a hopeful and a, and a positive kind of response that could point people to a direction that we understand? And in light of that, you know, I think there's a couple of things that we can hold on to with surety. The first thing is, no matter what the circumstances are in our life or in our world, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of our lives. He's Lord of this world. He's Lord of heaven. And so we know he is Lord. The second thing we know is that he has promised that he's returning. We know that we have eternal life and that Jesus is coming again. And so we're motivated by joy and gentleness to be remembering that the Lord is near. And this nearness that Paul writes about in this passage refers not just to the presence of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, but it refers even more so to the nearness of Christ's second coming. That we're closer today to Christ's coming than we have ever been before. That return is growing nearer and nearer. And that promise of the second coming motivates us to act as if we know he is going to return. It changes our perspective. The second thing we can do in order to see that life is beautiful is to cast our anxieties on the Lord. Life is beautiful in Christ when we can cast our anxieties on the Lord. And it's something very hard for many people to do. For some people, I know they, they get especially anxious, it seems like, about everything. And even down to what they're going to wear the next day. I want to see what verses 6 and 7 tell us from, from what Paul writes. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but... In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a great set of verses right there. 
That's really, really powerful words that God gave to Paul. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Yeah, right. How do we not be anxious about anything? But if you think about it, if we bring attitudes of joy and gentleness combined with this constant awareness of Christ's return, his nearness, it should dispel any of our worries that have anything to do of lasting value. In Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, Jesus tells us not to worry about these kinds of things. He said there's enough things going on in your life and in your world that you don't have to add worry to the list of challenges. And so the last two verses in that passage from verse 33 and 34, this is what Jesus says. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If we're truly seeking God's will, then we have nothing of lasting value to worry about. And when our lives are just filled with anxiety, it begins kind of a downward spiral of anxiety. And it tears you up on the inside. But the key, we're told, to dispelling anxiety is to be focused on what God, on who God is and what God can do. You know, when we're carrying out God's will, He's going to be there for us, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't feel or sense His presence. God's still with us, no matter what our circumstances tell us. So when we start to feel anxious, the passage encourages us to take it to God immediately and, nothing, and to know that nothing is too small or too big for our God. Have you noticed that drug companies, when they're promoting a new drug that's going to solve some kind of health problem or self health concern, in a 30-second commercial, they'll take 28 seconds and they'll tell you everything great about the drug and the benefits it's going to bring to your life. And the last two seconds, they jam in all these possible side effects that they say so fast, you can't even understand what they are. Well, I went and looked and I wanted to see, well, what, what are some of the side effects of the two best-selling drugs in the United States today? Well, the top-selling drug today is a drug called Synthroid, and it's a drug that's for hypothyroid. And it's supposed to help with that. So here's the possible side effects of this drug. Dizziness, sweating, fevers, insomnia, headaches, and irritability. And I just wrote down six of the 20 that they listed on their website. And I looked at it and I thought, well, wow, if you had all those side effects, I'm not sure it's worth taking the drug. But maybe it is. The second best-selling drug in our, in our nation today is a drug called Crestor. And I'm hoping the pharmaceutical companies will give me some money for promoting their drugs in church. I'm not holding my hope on that. But anyway, Crestor, it lowers cholesterol. But here's some of the possible side effects. Muscle fatigue, tenderness, memory loss, weight gain, just a few of the possible side effects. Verse 7 in this passage tells us that when we turn our hearts to Jesus, when we give our anxieties to him, that we get a side effect that happens when we do that. And it's a great positive side effect. It's not a negative side effect. It tells us when we take our anxieties to God that the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We have the side effect of knowing that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This word translated uh, to mean guarding, guarding our hearts, guarding our minds, it was a military term in Paul's day. And it, it referred to uh, surrounding and protecting a garrison or a city in the Philippians, they really understood this. This would have connected really well with them because they lived in a town that was a Roman garrison. And so there were lots of Roman soldiers there to protect this this strategic uh, town right on this uh, trading 
pipeline that they were on in Philippi. So they understood what that meant. And so when we hear that, uh, with our heart and with our mind being guarded by God, that's something that can help us to realize how beautiful life is in Christ. That God can still give us beauty even in the midst of some anxieties because he'll give us a peace that can surpass anything that this, this world would understand. And the third area I want us to consider is, is one that I think will do, do wonders for us if we'll, we'll follow what Paul encourages us to do. That's to focus on the beautiful things in this life. Life is beautiful in Christ when we can focus on the beautiful things of life. It feels a little bit like a circle, what I'm saying right there. But I want us to think about this. I'm not just speaking of the physical things that I was talking about earlier. Certainly those things can be an encouragement to us as well. You know, to focus on God's incredible imaginative uh, creativity. But I think Paul's speaking of something deeper here. And let's look at verse 8 and see what he's getting at. He goes on in verse 8 and says, Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's a nice list to dwell on. I mean, he's just encouraged us to cast our anxieties on the Lord. And so if we remove those anxieties by casting them on the Lord, then what's going to fill our minds and our hearts? And Paul says, well, then focus on these things. And he gives us a list of things to dwell on. And faith is central in the human thought process of what God has done and what God is promising to do for us. It's both a looking back at God's provisions to us, with us, historically, but then it's also looking forward with confidence in God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And what you dwell on or what you think on is what you're going to focus on with your life. And do we tend to focus on our circumstances that are going on around our life, or do we focus with faith in Christ, on God's promises that he has for us in his word. How many of us think of the worst things possible in every scenario? There's times I struggle with that. Diane can confirm that. Then there's times she reminds me, oh, don't always think about all the bad possibilities. Let's think about some of the good things that happen, can happen in this kind of situation. So what you dwell on affects how you act. This is the garbage in and garbage out principle. It's that if we're putting garbage into our thought process and into our heart, we're going to act on that garbage. And I'm not trying to use just some psychological, secular psychological stuff here. Remember, this is all in the context of us being in Christ. That in Christ, Christ has literally changed all of our perspective on life. So many of the things that we see and hear, they'll eventually affect what we do. Do we focus on what our culture tells us or on the eternal, truthful and powerful Word of God. So let's spend some time looking at the Word of God and what we need to focus our thoughts on. He gives us a list of some things to consider to give focus to. The first is, he says, focus on whatever is true. Well, truth involves statements, and it also involves facts that are in accordance with reality. Truth is not fantasy. Truth is not what's possible. Truth is what we know. And truth is sincere, and truth is genuine. Truth is a characteristic of God. Whatever is true finds its source in the living word of God. He goes on and says, focus on whatever is noble. These are matters that are worthy of respect. They're dignified. They're exalted in character or in excellence. I heard a parent one time that we were uh, in relationship with, and 
he, he had heard somebody teaching on this passage, and it really changed his perspective on how he was parenting his children. Literally, this word, uh, focus on whatever is noble, and he took that to focus on whatever is noble about my kids. And he, he told me, he said, you know, I, I tend to focus on whatever their flaws are, that I'm trying to, their character flaws or their weaknesses and try to build them up so they're going to be great mature adults someday but he said i i think i tend to focus too much on their on their flaws and not enough about what's noble about my child i thought well that's a great thing that we need to carry that in balance as parents but too often we focus on the negatives and not enough about what's noble and certainly every person that god has created has something noble about them he goes on, he says, whatever is right, we're to focus on that. And that's thoughts or plans that are right. They're just. That they meet God's standards of rightness. They're in keeping with the truth. They are righteous. And how do we know what is right? Well, certainly if we understand what God sets as being righteous and just, we can know that that is right. Whatever is pure, we're to look to that. And pure means free from any contamination or blemish. These thoughts are unmixed and unmodified. They're wholesome thoughts. Paul was speaking of probably moral uh, purity. And it's hard, I think, in our, in our culture today to focus on pure thoughts. We're inundated with what the culture gives us through the entertainment field, through the Internet, through social media. And I'm not, I'm not saying that those outlets don't have anything of pureness to them. I just think there is some pure content that you can find in those different uh, fields, but we need to be wise with what do we feed our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds with. And Paul's saying, make sure you feed those things that are pure and not things that are unpure. And especially, I think, in light of that, to help our children understand and to discern and to be wise about what's pure and how do we focus on what's pure. And then he says, whatever is lovely, thoughts of great moral and spiritual beauty, not of evil, it could be translated to be sweet or gracious or generous or, or patient. And as believers, we've got to focus our thoughts on what the Bible says is pleasing and attractive and admirable to God. So whatever is admirable, we're to focus on that as well. And admirable, admirable describes what is highly regarded or well thought of. It refers to things that speak of the thinker. The thoughts that are that recommend that, that give confidence in that approve uh, that give approval or praise that reveal positive and constructive thinking, and so as believers, our thoughts, if heard by others, should be commendable, not condemning. Right, and the verse finishes by letting us know that anything that reflects these things are worthy of our thoughts and our focus. Can you imagine how different our life would be if we would focus on these things that? Paul says, focus your, your mind, your thought life on these things. And your thought life can either build you up or it can destroy you. But the beauty of life is it's all a matter of perspective. It comes down to, are we intentionally living in Christ or apart from Christ? The last thing we're going to do is look at those things that can make life beautiful is the concept of passing it on. Life is beautiful in Christ when we can pass it on. How many times has your day been changed by someone who's offered just a smile, a warm smile or an encouraging word to you? I believe that joy can be infectious. And when I think about uh, someone who's joyful, I think about Stephen Weissong, our student ministries director that left a a couple of months ago. Stephen was joyful, like you couldn't be around Stephen and not be encouraged or or be positive because he was always so encouraging and positive. Like one of the things the staff appreciated about him was 
uh, that when he would come into worship service, he'd take out the connection card, he'd fill it out, and he'd flip it over, he'd write a prayer request, and he'd always typically pick a staff member, and he'd write a prayer request for the staff member, and it wasn't like this funny, make fun of them kind of prayer request, but it was a, truly like he would look, he would say, I'll pray for Pastor Doug, because Pastor Doug is so encouraging, and has a great sense of humor, and, and just really always fun to be around, and pray for Pastor Doug, and he'd list two or three things that He'd want us to pray for. And so as a staff, we're always reading the prayer cards. We'd be, oh, here's one from Stephen. We'd all be like, who's he going to encourage today? But, you know, a word of encouragement, just simple, nice things that we can encourage somebody with, we can build them up, we can lift them up, is, uh, is something beautiful that we can offer to others. You see, when we see the beauty in life in Christ, we want to share that beauty with others. Look at verse 9 in this passage. Paul says, whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. If we want to maintain a positive outlook on life in Christ, we must continually work on the things that Paul mentions in this passage. Look at the progression at this last verse. Paul learned from others, and then he displayed those things to others. He taught them, he modeled them in his life and in his ministry, and then others learned from him. And then Paul is saying, now... Do these with others. You do that with others. We have the greatest thing in the world to offer, to pass on to other people. What are others others learning from our lives? What are they learning as they observe and as they listen to us? What's the difference between life being beautiful and life being a burden? Again, I think it's a matter of perspective. Are we living this life in Christ or apart from Christ? If we try... If we're spending all of our time kind of dwelling on the evil and the negative, we're going to see life in that light. And as Christians, more than anyone else, we ought to be hopeful for this life and for this world. Because we know that eventually Christ will return. And we know that he's going to redeem all that's been broken and all that's been fractured. We serve a redemptive God, not a destructive God. We serve a God who saves, not a God who destroys. If we think of the worst of people, we're going to get the worst from them. When God looks on us, he sees our potential in Christ. He continually offers his love and his grace and his forgiveness to us. And as disciples, he calls us to do the same thing, to offer others his love, his grace, his forgiveness. Folks, we've got one life to live on this earth, and we're going to meet our maker someday. How are you going to view your life? Are you going to view it and live it in sadness and in negativity, or are you going to live your life treasuring the life that God has given and all the beauty that surrounds you as you live your life in Christ. See the beauty in life. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Now that you are in Christ, know that He has now paid a price for you and for our lives. He's forgiven us and He's redeemed us in Him. True beauty in life is found in Christ. Are you ready to experience that beauty today? Are you ready to live the reality of rejoicing in the Lord today and every day moving forward. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that you gave to Paul, that Paul wrote to the Philippians that now come to us. God, we're thankful because of what you have accomplished in and through Christ, that we can rejoice in the Lord today and every day. God, that Christ has changed everything. He has changed our perspective. We truly can rejoice in him. God, we're thankful that when we go through difficult circumstances, it doesn't matter what we're going through, God, that we can cast our anxieties on you and you give us peace. 
that surpasses anything this world understands. God, help us to be your children that desire to see the beauty of this life that you have created and that you want to offer to everyone so that everyone can know your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your salvation. God, help us to be faithful, to live life in a way that would honor you and give you pleasure. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing, How Can I Keep From Singing?